0: Good morning, my name is Spencer, I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to be in Matthew 26, verses 30-46, through that's on page 486, in a blue Bible that is around you. If you don't have a Bible at home, we encourage you to take that blue Bible with you. Uh, That is our gift to you, we want you to have a Bible that you can read on a regular basis. Uh, There are moments in life uh, that absolutely punch you deep, in your soul. There are moments where you endure an immense amount of suffering and loss uh, and grief. There are moments in life where you feel so overwhelmed uh, by life itself, by the moment, uh, by the things that you face. Uh, This has happened a few times in my life. Uh, One that sticks out the most uh, was my freshman year of college. My freshman year of college, I remember I was in my dorm room. Uh, I was taking a nap. I woke up to a bunch of missed calls and I called my father back and found out that my brother-in-law had passed away. And I uh, called my, my brother after that, and uh, he confirmed that he didn't just pass away, that he actually taken his own life. And when all of that hit, I uh, just felt completely overwhelmed in grief. I remember getting in the car and driving to my sister's house and, and walking in and seeing uh, her and just the, the agony of that moment, embracing her and all of the pain that came with that uh, was was so surreal. Uh, and I also remember in that moment, I remember questioning God from a place of, of frustration and anger. That was just, why? Why would you let this happen? Why would you let uh, this happen to my sister, to my niece, to my nephew? Why? Uh, and, and there's just this... this This frustration, and this anger, and this questioning the character of God that just said, why? There are moments that that all of us will walk through in life where we endure suffering and loss and grief and pain. And some of you uh, may have been through this and even gone through that and questioning the character of God and asking, why? The reality is, is that you will face moments like this. If you have not suffered, you will. It is a guarantee in life. Everyone suffers it is as sure as death and taxes you will suffer that is a part of the reality this side of the fall you will face situations in your life that absolutely just throw gut punches at your soul but as christians we have a different approach to this we have a a different understanding the bible says a lot about this therefore we we have a different response that we are called to in those moments and my hope is is that this morning, as we walk through what is a very heavy passage, uh, that we would watch Jesus as He prepares for the moment of the cross, as He prepares for suffering. And my hope is that we would learn and that we would glean from Him so that we would be able to suffer well, which is the hope for any Christian in the midst of suffering. So it is heavy. Let me pray. And then we'll jump into this passage. God, I pray that you would help us be present this morning. I have no doubt that there is an immense amount of suffering, even right now in this room, that people are walking through, that people are facing. God, I pray that we'd be able to, to learn. I pray that we'd listen. And I pray that you would mold us and shape us to be a people that suffer well by the power that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse thirty. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay, so this is the transition from last week. Last week, the past two weeks, we're at the Passover meal, and then Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. We walked through that last week, and then at the end of this meal, they sing a hymn. They sing, and I just, I just want us to, just want to point that out: that Jesus leads the disciples in singing. That singing is good for your soul. It sings truth deep into your soul so maybe the person that doesn't like to sing when we're together on Sundays whether it's for your self-conscious or or maybe it's prideful reasons or you're a dude and you're like I don't sing it's just not what I do it's just not manly which if you think that one day you can meet the king of kings and tell him he was effeminate for leading the people and singing no it's good it's good for us to sing and he sings as they close out this moment and they head to the Mount of Olives which is a hillside that sits just above the city Of Jerusalem. So it's a a hillside that uh, that they would have, a lot of pilgrims who were coming in for Passover would have camped out, and he takes them to the Mount of Olives, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So again, we've been seeing this, Jesus is making it clear, this is going to happen. I am going to suffer, I am going uh, to the cross, and he says, and you are going to abandon me, which had to be a little bit of a shock for the disciples, thinking, no, this, this, this can't be possible. But he quotes, this is not just uh, going to happen, it's been prophesied. Zechariah thirteen seven from the Old Testament is this prophecy that says that the shepherd is going to be struck. And when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. Fearfully scatter and abandon him. He says, but 32, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now there's two things. One of them is very obvious from this. He is declaring that he's going to rise. He's saying that, that, that his death is not the end. That resurrection is going to happen. So that's the clear thing that we see on the surface. But what I love buried in this is a picture of how good our great shepherd is. That in this moment, he just said, you are going to abandon me. You're going to to leave me. And he says, but don't worry. When I rise, I'll meet you in Galilee. That I'm I'm going to, it's this picture of he, he sees their failures and still he restores them. I love that we have a good shepherd that restores those even when they are faithful. So, verse 33, Peter hears this, and he disagrees. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Which, that's Peter. We've seen it over and over again. He's all in. Like, he's just full-hearted. Doesn't even realize he just put the other disciples down. If they fail and fall away, I won't leave you, Jesus. I'm in. And then Jesus says, Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. That when the sheep scatter and they abandon him, Peter will have even a more tragic abandonment. He's going to deny him three times what you're going to see in the next few verses. He's going to abandon him. Verse 35, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He's defiant. And all the other disciples said the same. So Peter, bold in his stance, I'm not going anywhere. The other disciples was like, no, we would not abandon you, even though it's going to happen in just a few hours. Now, what happens next is one of my favorite moments in all of the Gospels. It's one of the most powerful moments in the Gospels. And it's unbelievably helpful for us to look at and examine and to see what happens next. Because it gives us incredible insight in how to be people who respond well and prepare well for suffering. So if you've ever been in a situation where you have suffered, if you've ever grieved the the loss of someone or death, if you've ever wrestled with, with deep sin, if you've ever faced adversity, if you've ever felt overwhelmed by life in general, this is a helpful passage for us to pay attention to and examine. Verse 36, Then, Jesus went to them to a place, went to them to a place called Gethsemane. This is the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, "Sit here while I go over there and pray." So, with the reality of the cross setting in, he gets his disciples together, and he takes them a little further into the garden. He says, "I, I, I need to get away to pray." And, and then, verse thirty-seven says, "And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee," that's Peter and James and John. The three that he spent more time with. He takes them in further into the garden. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus is sorrowful. He is troubled. He is in deep distress to the point of sorrow and anguish. That It's the point of death. And he tells them, Stay here. Stay near him. I'm going to go further into the garden. And what he is going to do is he's going to have some solitude before his heavenly father. Verse 39. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And this is where we get to see the why behind why he is so sorrowful, even the point of death. Why he's in such deep distress has to do with the cup that he just mentioned. What is the cup that Jesus speaks of? Well, first off, you gotta take it in the context of what he just quoted. He quoted Zechariah 13:7, which is a prophecy where God is speaking. It is God speaking, saying that he is the one who will strike. The Good Shepherd. Zechariah thirteen seven says, "Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me," declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. That is God the Father saying, "I will strike the Son." That God and His sovereign plan brings this about to where Jesus is the one who will be struck. And it is, the God's, it is God the Father's plan to do so. The cup of, uh, that is mentioned here is the cup of suffering that's been prepared for Christ. It is a cup of suffering. It is what, uh, the, the cup was referenced in Matthew 20, just a few chapters back. In Matthew 20, James and John are having an argument over who is, who, who's going to sit the left and right hand of, of Jesus and what they thought was going to be this political movement their mom gets involved and tries to argue on their behalf and then finally we get to uh, a response where Jesus answered he said you do not know what you are asking are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink they said to him we are able he said to them you will drink my cup but sit at my right hand and my left it's not mine to grant The cup is the cup of suffering he says you will drink my cup James later on in Acts 12 is beheaded for his faith John is the only disciple that is not martyred but later on history tells us that that he was thrown into oil to be boiled alive he somehow survives that we don't know how and then ends up in exile on the island of Patmos where he dies it is the cup of suffering that God it's also not just the cup of suffering, it's the cup of God's wrath. When the cup is spoken of in the Old Testament in passages like Isaiah 51:17 and Jeremiah 25:15, it is God's wrath, the cup of wrath that is poured out, and that is what's being referenced here. It is the cup of God's wrath, and it is an immense amount of suffering, and that is what Jesus is about to drink. An immense amount of suffering. For the sins of man. He will in the next few hours be beaten. He will be tortured. He will be nailed to a cross. And there's a crazy amount of physical agony and suffering that's involved in this. But it's not just that. It's that he's going to be bearing our sin on the cross. And it's not even just that. It's that this perfect fellowship that he's had with God the Father for eternity is going to change in this moment. Because on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He calls out to the Father in agony, the physical and spiritual suffering. He calls out and he hears nothing but the wrath of God poured out on him. He's had this fellowship with the Father that will change in this moment. All of that is what he's preparing for. That's the cup that awaits him. That's what he's trying to get ready for. And then it says, as he's anticipating this and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If it's possible, Jesus says, take it. He doesn't want to suffer. He doesn't want that there's a part of him that's very human that, he doesn't want to suffer in this way. He doesn't want all the pain and suffering that awaits, both physically and spiritually that awaits him. He doesn't want to go that route, but he prays one of the most helpful prayers in all of the Scriptures. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. In this moment of deep distress, he prays what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Your will would be done. This isn't what I want for myself, but Father, this is what you want. My, not my will, but your will. I don't want to suffer in this way, but God the Father does because he wants to rescue wayward sinners, and our only hope is Jesus to take steps in faithfulness and to take steps towards the cross. So, Jesus, anticipating all of this, falls on his face before the Father in deep distress. And he doesn't just do it once. He does this repeatedly. Verse 40 says, Then he returned his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's not just prayer. It's persistent prayer that Jesus models for us. That He needs to keep going back. And he's telling the disciples, no, you need to prepare yourself. You're not going to be ready when temptation comes. What a a self-aware thought that the flesh uh, is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's something that we need to have so, so clearly in our own minds. Sometimes the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Therefore, we need to go back to the well of God's strength in prayer gets away again 42 he went away a second time and prayed, my father if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless i drink it may your will be done praise again it's not possible may your will be done pray some more verse 43 when he came back he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing and we're on into the night, he's not, he, he keeps going back. He keeps praying, preparing to face what he is about to face. And through prayer, he is going to find the strength to take steps forward in faithfulness. And he is going to bear the sins of humanity and take on a punishment that no one has ever endured or will endure. Verse 45, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look. The hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. It is time. Jesus will be arrested, and he will be taken towards the cross, the disciples will abandon him in fear as Jesus steps forward in faith. Now, how does this help prepare us for suffering? What can we learn from this that would help us be better sufferers? I think there are five things that we can learn from this, from Jesus in the garden uh, praying. And the first is that God ordains and purposes suffering. That God ordains. He chooses that we would suffer. It is an uncomfortable truth that we don't like as Western American Christians. We don't like this idea. That God and his sovereign plan allows and ordains suffering to happen. It's something that we just rather ignore. Because just generally in our culture, we don't like the idea of suffering in any form or fashion. I was reading an article by Tim Keller. He's a pastor that we look up to immensely. He wrote it in the Atlantic this week. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, is, uh, he has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I follow him a lot and just reading and listening to him. It, just, it doesn't sound very hopeful. And he wrote this article on facing death, uh, and and suffering, and he in one part quotes uh, a memoir from a doctor. This doctor practiced medicine in India, and in America, and he's comparing the two different uh, systems of medicine, the two different uh, people groups, and the two how we respond differently uh, to suffering. And he quotes this doctor his, in his memoir. He writes in the United States. I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs, he wrote in a recent memoir. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than I had previously treated when he was in India. But they seem far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. He's making an observation that in India, where they have more suffering... They seem to be better prepared for it. That In America, we're more insulated from, we're more guarded against, we don't like to think about the aspects of suffering and death. And when it hits us, we're far more traumatized by it. And then Tim Keller diagnoses this with his own thoughts. He says, our beliefs about God and an afterlife, if we have them, are often abstractions as well. If we don't accept the reality of death, if we We don't need these beliefs to be anything other than mental assents. He says, for for us, it really just becomes mental agreements with the idea of suffering. That we can hear about it, read about it, absorb that idea, but it's it's more of an abstract concept for us. It's not something that's concrete. Because we're so guarded, our culture doesn't like to look at suffering, doesn't like to face the aspects of death. We insulate ourselves from it. It's a downer. Death and suffering, it's just something we, we, we don't want to look at. Like I start the sermon off with a heavy story, and it's like, oh man, this, this is one of those days. Just, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't want, we don't like to, to deal with this. It's just an abstract Concept and what this passage calls us to do is to is to stare deep into it and reckon with this idea of suffering and not just suffering itself but the purposes that are behind suffering, the mysterious purposes. Now when we look at Jesus and why he suffers on the cross, why why does Jesus take the full cup of God's wrath? Why why does God purpose that his son would take on the greatest suffering that anyone ever? knew or will know that skeptics will call this is divine child abuse. W- why is this? It is because our world is marred by sin. It is broken. It is because we are broken. It is because we hurt one another. It is because we hurt ourselves. It is because we rage against God in our own rebellion. We spit on His goodwill, on His good pleasure. We wreck one another. We wreck this world. And that type of rebellion has a cost. And we are not able to pay that cost. So God, in his deep love, comes. He comes to pay the cost for us and to pay the penalty to rescue us and redeem this world. That is why Jesus had to suffer in the garden. or That's why he had to suffer, and that is what he's preparing for in the garden. So why does God allow us to get sick Our loved ones to die. Why do we suffer? We get some answers. We live in a fallen world. We live this side of the fall, and sin and death are a reality. And sometimes we get more answers. You know, we we get more answers behind why Jesus suffers than we do at times. Maybe it's to prepare us for greater things. That, that's a little bit of what First Peter is getting at, that it's, there's some sanctifying aspects of suffering that prepares us for greater things. Maybe it's that our suffering gets to be the comfort to somebody else. When you go through something that is difficult and you've come through the other side, that you get to be a comfort to someone else who's walking through it. Sometimes we get those answers through prayer, discernment, the scriptures. Sometimes we just don't know. We don't get all the whys behind why we suffer. But there is very one clear thing that we see. There's some very good news in the midst of this. The good news is that, that comforts us in the midst of suffering is that God is not distant. God is not distant. Jesus sympathizes with our suffering. That's the second thing I think this passage helps highlight. Jesus sympathizes with our suffering. He's not unable to understand what you're going through. He's not, we don't pray to a God who's distant and removed from the aspects of suffering. Look at 37, it says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here to watch with me. He knows what it, what, what it means to suffer, and that, that he, he's able to empathize with the struggle that. He he's been here. He's lived it. You've been in a situation where somebody, like you, you there's, you've endured a loss of some type. somebody died, and somebody people just sometimes they just feel like they have to say something, and just be like, ah oh, man, I, yeah, I'm so sorry. A couple years ago, like I yeah, I lost my dog, and it's like, oh no, <laughs> the, this isn't going to go well. That you. You cannot relate in this moment. I, I want to as quickly and awkwardly end this conversation because it's just not helpful. Like you have people that try to to, to commiserate, they try to, and it's like, no, you, you're not, you don't, you don't get this. You don't know what I'm going through. Jesus doesn't have a dog story, right? He's he came, he chose to come to this world and endure suffering on a regular basis, and then suffering on a way that we will never comprehend. That's what the book of Hebrews gets at in Hebrews 4, that we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize us, but one who's able to sympathize us in every way. That he's come, that he's endured suffering, so that when we pray to God. It's not that we're praying to someone who's distant, who doesn't understand. No, he chose to. He chose to come into this broken world. He can sympathize with our suffering. That's one thing that we see absolutely here. Third, we see that we don't need to be alone in the midst of suffering. Jesus could have, after the Passover meal said, Guys, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the Mount of Olives. Y'all stay here. He could have done that. He takes the disciples with him. He takes them with him into the garden. He takes three that are close and nearby. And yes, he, he absolutely has solitude, which he does regularly. But they're right nearby. He could have chosen to do this alone. But he doesn't, because we're made in the image of a communal God. We are designed to be around one another. So you don't need to be alone in the midst of suffering. It's not good for your soul. I've said this over the years, that when someone is suffering, when someone has endured loss, you don't always have to say something. You don't have to feel the void of silence. You you can just be there. It's called a ministry of presence. You're, you're just there. You can cry with them. You can sit with them for hours in silence. A lot of the times, they don't remember what anyone said, but they remember who was there. And that matters. The third thing we learn is we don't need to be alone in the midst of suffering. The fourth is that we are not sufficient to handle our own distress and suffering. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves to handle our distress to handle our sorrows and suffering Jesus models this by praying and this is the part some of their passages like this where we're trying to reconcile which we can't because it's a mystery that God is fully God that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man that the, 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 the fact that he is in this moment, in need, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that he's fully human in this moment. He needs the Father in, hu- in his humanity. He comes to him in deep distress, in deep, in deep sorrow, that the weight of the full cup of God's wrath that is, that is waiting for him in just a few hours, it's right there. It weighs heavy on him physically. You, it shows up so much so that in Luke's gospel, It adds that 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 as he's praying humbly to the Father, an angel comes and ministers to him. He's in need in this moment. He models that we are not sufficient to handle this on our own. We're not sufficient to handle our own distress, our own troubles, our own sorrows. Here's the deal. Many of us have a category for this, that we're not sufficient, we're not, we we can't handle this all ourselves when it comes to the bigger moments of life, when it comes to being overwhelmed in, 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 in huge, watershed, life-changing moments of suffering. But I want to speak to those of you that feel that sense of, of, of distress and overwhelming in, in everyday aspects of life. just want to speak to you for a moment. For those of you that, that struggle with the, the general category that we have today is called general anxiety. I just want to speak to you for a moment because I think this passage also has a helpful way to think through this that is actually good for you to process and think through. There is a categorical difference between distress that Jesus is enduring in the garden and the category of anxiousness that is a spiritual mistrust of God that doesn't trust in His sovereignty, that, that a need for control. Those are two different Things The Bible has different categories for those. Let me go back to verse 37. It says, In taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. The word for troubled there means deep distress. It is a different word than what we see for anxious that's used in the Scripture. So uh, Philippians 4, Do not be anxious in anything but through prayer and supplication, Make your request known to the Lord. That's a different word. When Jesus says, uh, "Don't be anxious about this life," that's a different word than this word for distress. And here's the deal: if you looked at Jesus in this moment, with our modern kind of psychological lens, you see him praying in the garden. Probably, uh, uh, not, we don't know. Probably, he's he's sweating immensely. Luke's uh, gospel either says that he's praying and there's uh, sweat that's like droplets of blood, meaning it's thick amounts of sweat or sweat or He's so deeply distressed. There's a rare medical condition where blood shows up in your sweat. It's hard to tell from the text. Both of those means he is in deep distress. And with modern psychological lens, you look at that and say, oh no, maybe Jesus is actually anxious. But he's not. He's in deep distress. And here's why that's so incredibly important for you to understand. You have a physiological response, all of us. To, 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 I mean, if you, if you saw a snake in a path, you would, you would have physiological changes. If you saw a car slam on brakes in front of you, you'd have physiological, physiological changes that would happen. You would start to breathe heavier. Your heart would start to race. Adrenaline would spike. You would feel a cold sweat. That's a physical response that you have to something that is difficult. Some of you have a more sensitive response to that in lots of things. You see your kid on top of a play set. They don't text or call like they were supposed to. You have a presentation that's due at work. You have, a, you have, you have a, an assignment that you've got to present. And you feel that you wake up and you feel this feeling. This isn't the gray area here, but you feel this feeling of distress. And here's why this is so incredibly important for you to understand. When you re- read passages that say, don't be anxious about anything, what you translate that is, don't feel the feeling that I feel so regularly. And you've got to know yourself. There's a difference between a feeling of distress, which is a physical, very human response that Jesus feels, and not trusting the Lord that leads to anxiety. What stands in the middle of that is the recognition and understanding that you are not sufficient to handle your own troubles. It is the fifth thing that we see from this. Choose the God who can handle your troubles and sorrows. That is what we see so clearly here. Jesus feels this distress in the garden. But you know why does not lead to sin? Because he stops in that moment and he gets on his face and he prays. There's a difference whether you feel this on a regular basis or you feel this in the most difficult moments of suffering in life. What stands in the way between that being just distress and leading to an anxiety that does not trust the Lord is prayer. It's getting on our face in faith in praying. Acknowledging that we can't handle this ourselves. But God can so you have one of two options in this moment. So you can trust God, or you can say that I'm sufficient in and of myself, that I can handle this myself. I was talking to Scott Hill about this this week. He's one of our older members. And, uh, and he says, really two responses. It's, it's, it's either this vertical response, that where you are praying to the Lord, or it's more of a circular response. And I love that because I know exactly what he's getting at. It's, this, it's a circular response of just crazy. It's, you feel this deep distress. You feel it coming on. And then all of a sudden, you don't go to the Lord. You want to deal with it yourself and you choose to deal with yourself, and then all of a sudden, it leads into this anxiety where you're not trusting the Lord, your thoughts are consumed, but then that physically affects you, right? And then you feel it, and then it causes more distress, and it's this cycle where you feel distress, and you try to handle it yourself, and it leads to more anxiety, and it goes, and it goes on and on. And what, what, the, what God is trying to teach us to do is to break through that and humble ourselves before the Lord and pray from a desperate place. I mean, Jesus falls on the ground and prays desperately. That's a physical uh, a posture of deep prayer in the midst of distress. That sometimes you've got to fall on your face. In the most difficult moments of life, you've got to get on your face and pray. That if you are overwhelmed at work, sometimes you need to pause, get on your knees at your desk, and pray. Scott was talking about, sometimes he just holds his hands out. That physically gets gets in a posture of, prayer jesus in john 17 looks up to the father and prays uh, one of the things I, I, I teach in counseling is is deep breathing and i'll do deep breathing exercises which i always tell people is very awkward to breathe with somebody deeply for two or three minutes feels very new agey but i'm i'm, I'm sold on it i think it is very helpful that uh, there are moments, whether you're tempted to, to look at pornography or you're tempted to, to fall more into a spiral of anxiety, to just, in those moments, regulate your breathing. Because when you breathe a lot and you get more and more uh, stirred up, your adrenaline spikes, your, your heart starts pumping, and you can't think clearly. And I, and I teach no pause and, we, and just deep breathe. Learn to, deep, uh, to breathe deeply. And when you do this, it regulates your, uh, your heart rate, starts to decrease, it floods your brain with oxygen. There's physical, physical changes that happen within you so that you can think clearly. And then I say, get on your knees and pray. And remember the gospel and rehearse truth and pray. There's some physical things you can do to get to a posture of humility before the Lord. Life is going to throw a lot at you. It is going to throw haymakers at your soul, which in boxing is a huge punch. That it, It's going to absolutely come at you, and you have a fork in the road in all of these circumstances. If you are a Christian, you can, in that moment, come to the Father humbly in prayer, or you can see that you are sufficient to handle yourself. And if you see yourself as sufficient, you will physically bear the weight of that, which will affect you physically. You will, like I've done in the past, kept question the character and the goodness of God. Or you can come to him humbly in prayer. You can get on your face and cry out to him. And you can echo the same prayer of Jesus. Not my will, God, but your will be done. I don't want... To lose this battle with cancer. I I, I don't want to, to, to lose my job. I don't want to wreck my career. I don't want to fail this test. I don't want to lose this child. I don't want to lose this parent. But not my will, God. Yours be done. That's the model that Jesus gives us. That we get to come to the Father and pray. In the midst of distress, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of, of all the swirling suffering that surrounds us. We get to choose the path of Christ and fall in the same line that he did. And I thank Jesus that he chose the path that he chose. I thank Jesus that in that garden, as he's praying, and he's overwhelmed, and he's sweating, and he's in a f- in physically weak that he chose to get up and go to the cross. Because that's the only hope that we have. The only hope we have is Jesus on the cross. And my hope for us as Christians is we'd see what Jesus did and that we'd follow the same path in prayer. Matt's going to come up. And I want us for a moment to reflect upon The things that are happening in our life, the things that that are heavy for us, that are burdensome for us, the troubles that we face, the suffering that's in front of us, and I just want us to do that. I want us to pray. Maybe you need to get on your knees in front of your chair, maybe you need to hold your hands out, but I want us to pray. If you are not a Christian. I want you to see that the God of the universe did not leave you in a world that is so filled with brokenness and sin, He didn't leave you, He came for you. He loved you so much that He got about out of the garden and He went to the cross for you, so that you don't have to be alone, so that you would have a God who stands in the heavens and hears your prayers and knows what you are feeling. We don't always get the responses we want. There are times you will pray and God says, no. But the path of faith is acknowledging that ultimately God's will is best. So if you're a Christian, I pray that you would, that would be so clear for you this morning as you pray. If you are not a Christian, I, f- I pray you'd be so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that you give into him in belief. Let me lead us in prayer and then take a few moments in silence before we respond in singing. Lord, this world is so painful. We feel sin deep within us, we see it all around us, we see the hurt, we see the pain of death and suffering and loss. And it is overwhelming and that is okay because you are able to handle it God I pray right now that the Christians in this room who are struggling that they would respond in prayer not just now but for a lifetime they would respond in choosing the path of faith and trusting you and they would lay their burdens before you and you would comfort them you would comfort us You'd be near to us. You'd be gracious to us. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that does not believe this, that has not trusted in you, may your overwhelming love be so clear right now in this moment that they would believe. In Jesus' name, amen.